CryptoQuant put out a report saying that the upside target for Bitcoin based on ETF inflows is about $112,000 just in 2024, but that the worst case scenario is $55,000. I don't think I've ever heard a report where the worst case scenario was that price is definitely still going up another 15%. We're going to talk about that, but of course, everything in the macro because it is Macro Monday. I am back this week. Last week, I left McGlone, Lavish, and Weisberger out here on their own to do it, but I'm back this time to uh, hopefully get out of the way and let them say intelligent things once again. Let's go, guys. Best hour of the week. Let's go. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. Going to go ahead and bring on the gentleman now. I've got Mike and James and Dave heading into the office. I'm, look, I'm just going to click them up so you can see what's happening with Dave. Then I'm going to take it off. <laughs> that, that was Dave. Did you see it? The audio people are going to be very confused, but we just got Dave on his phone getting in and out of his car. Good morning, gentlemen. I hope that uh, all is well. James, I know the Super Bowl was not far from from where you were. I could, uh, very I could, exciting times. I could see it, but not hear it. That was good. <laughs> That's probably a benefit. That was a bit, I don't really talk about football, but that was a super boring game until the end, which seems to be the new thing uh, here with, with the Super Bowl. I, did you guys see this, by the way? I literally am just bringing this up. Totally unrelated. Did you see the Joe Biden tweet right after the game with the laser <laughs> yeah, eyes that said, just like we drew it up? Is that an implication that, like, they fixed the game and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, like sarcasm, because that's what people are saying. It's some sort of psyop. Unbelievable. Uh, there, there could be so many ways you could take that. But yeah, that or maybe he just got hacked because, you know, it's the uh, it's a platform for hacking recently. So my gosh, <clears> I, <throat> I, I couldn't believe that tweet. Really couldn't believe it. And laser eyes. Is it, are they aware laser that uh, that's a thing in the Bitcoin community, Mike? Or you think that it was just a coincidence? <laughs> uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna. Okay. Okay. So here, here, here's here, here's the uh, outside. Here's the outside uh, view on that. So yes, you're right. The 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 Chiefs won the Super Bowl, which means that Taylor Swift won the Super Bowl, which means that you know there's there's a lot of people speculating that maybe this uh, this big party will uh, will push. Uh, them to kind of get married and then they will have Taylor Swift announce a pregnancy soon and then we'll have a baby boom and the economy just <laughs> rips after that. And so right. there we are. So I love it. It's perfect. Oh, and, perfect. And, yeah, and, and Bitcoin goes to a million clearly from the eyes. So life is good for everybody. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I guess we could uh, move on to the actual topic of the day. Uh, and, and then, well, Mike, did you have a morning call? Can you give us the review on actually what's going on before we dive into Bitcoin? I want to wait for Dave. Uh, yeah, not much difference. Um, still, our equity strategy is still quite bullish. Point out the momentum and the breadth is still quite positive in, in the S&P 500. Thinks market, the large caps will continue to drive. Um, from Anna Wong, she started to expect more disinflation. She thought the CPI revisions were just a nothing burger, but um, pointed out disinflation, you know, deflating ex expectations for um, inflation everywhere. I mean, that's not just U.S., but certainly on a U.S. Base basis. The, the numbers this week, um, expect maybe a little bit of an uptick, but um, key thing I think I really appreciated from our our 
um, our interest rate strategist, Iris Jersey, was something that resonated with me decades ago about um, people asking, is this 40-year yield or bull market bonds over? And he pointed out something I remember reading in Sidney Homer's History of Interest Rates that might ring a bell with you, James, um, that the late 70s and 80s was an aberration in spikes in interest rates. And typically they'll go down, um, particularly. And so right now the belly is a little bit, and the refundings went well. Um, the belly's a little bit um, expensive, typically. It's usually the place to do well, meaning five years. But um, so I'll tilt over to what my stuff is, what I focused on is severe deflationary forces in commodities. I mean, let's go back to April 1990. That is the price of um, the first um, time the natural gas future traded. It closed at 163, and today it's 183. It's only 10% above that level. So everything in my world is severe deflationary. I look at the price of copper. It's just it just made a new high. It looks like it's heading back down towards three, four is pretty good resistance. I look at the price of corn, the number one source of food in the planet um, is it looks like it's heading lower and there's just more and more supply. It's what your typical cycle expect. And then one shoe to drop is next is crude oil. It can easily drop 20 bucks and it's still above the price it was relative to natural gas and copper and crude just, you know, in 2019. So from my standpoint, um, I, I also did a neat recent update. I enjoyed doing the taking the average of PPIs from the top four countries on the planet, U.S., China, Japan, and Germany. It's minus about 3%. Okay, so that's deflation right now. And if you divide, if you subtract out Fed funds, it's minus about 8.3%. I only go back 20 years, 30 years, 1993. But we've never had a more higher Fed funds and deeper PPI than that. So there's one thing I like to look at. It's, it's a wonderful thing now that a year ago, the stock market was at a 20% correction or discount from its all-time high, and everybody's worried that Bitcoin, we weren't going to get ETFs. And now that it's such a wonderful situation, I have to bring out my, my gloom and point out there is severe deflationary forces in commodities from a global standpoint. There's no demand pull. There's too much supply, and we have to wait for the Fed to start easing to get a bottom, typically. And then there's the key thing I want to tilt over is I really enjoyed your podcast with the gentleman from Tether. I did um, repost it and quote a few things about the dollar, it's unstoppable right now. And particularly when you tilt over to what's happening in cryptos. I don't see, when you see 100 billion tethers almost, and the whole world is starting to realize that, oh, there's a better way to get exposure to the world's safest currency, which isn't the best, but it's the least worst of all the other ones. And then, of course, there's things like Bitcoin. So I look at, from my standpoint, there's little, no, little hope for the dollar to go down unless the stock, U.S. stock market drops, because that's what's really been driving. And unless U.S. interest rates drive, you see all the connection there. So there's little hope for commodities from my standpoint to go up um, until they get really darn cheap and they're just not there yet but well, we do have something that's going up and like you said the dollar Bitcoin. i think is up five percent since christmas but here you are spx yeah. i mean s&p's at five thousand twenty six with the dollar exactly. rising which yeah. is really interesting because since christmas the dollar's done nothing but effectively go up stocks have done nothing but effectively go up bitcoin now back at basically the ETF highs, you know, pushing into the mid 48,000s, it's like we're in the upside down. None, none of it's making much sense at the moment. No, and you know, something, Mike, that you said is is interesting. You're, you're talking about the, uh, the the depth of of the you know the the uncoupling of of PPI and and uh, the interest rates and and Fed funds and. 
So this morning, in just a few minutes ago, I was reading through kind of the the headlines, and I saw something about a. There's never been so many economists calling for a, a rate cut since 2010. Like they, it, and so let me pull this up so you can see this. Um, I'll try to share my screen for you, Scott. Sorry to put you like right in the uh, in the fire right. here, but so, but but the reason for that is pretty simple. Because if you go back to 2010, we we were basically what this chart shows is that the, the where the great financial crisis was. This is what the you know the Fed uses for calculating the neutral rate, right? This uh, this model by Halston Lalbach, and so you can see that Fed funds minus PC, their their um, favored measure of of inflation was below the neutral rate for the last 15 years, which means, and you could see it was negative for most of that time, which means that not only was it, was it, uh, you know, an easing of money, not only was it stimulative, but the money was, you were being paid basically to borrow money for the last 10, 15 years. And so that's why people they 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 need they need it. They're they're addicted to the free money. We need yeah. we need more free money, and so yeah. it's not about hey we can figure out how to expand the economy with innovation across all sectors, and we can we can figure out how to make real uh, GDP expansion. No, it's we know how to expand through market manipulation, for, through monetary manipulation, and fiscal manipulation. That's what we know how to do, and that's basically what you're looking at. So that is a case for rate cuts, even if things are strong. Well, yeah. See, look at where we are now today. People are very upset. Yeah, because look at where we are today. They're upset because, oh my God, we're above we're above the neutral rate. God, how can we do that? We we don't know how to operate in this in this in this world. We only know how to operate in this world now. Yeah, well, that's 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 we're still in the aberration, and we'll have to tilt to Dave because I think he's got some good comments on this. It's where a quote from our economist was. As of the March meeting, based on current trends in inflation, the Fed has room, room to cut 25 basis points, just based on normal their outlook for inflation. The issue, as I like keep watching, is these rate cut expectations. Every single time you see the stock market go higher, there's less reason to cut rates. And if they do cut rates, they know we're in that problem where they might be goosing the um, irrational exuberance and more inflation. So I think they're kind of stuck in why did we in a hurry to do anything? What are the odds we get a single cut and then a really long pause? Well, I, th I, I think that's an appropriate thing to do. But, and so there's also been no narrative going around they might cut 50, but why? You never do that unless there's a major reason to. I mean, number one, typically, is the stock market going <laughs> down. And right now, there's no reason to do anything but um, because the risk is if they cut more. So that would be the test. You, you have to have that kind of that, uh, that yeah, test and trial. So. That's right. My, and, and so that's kind of my base case now is that either we get some sort of credit event between now and June or the you know third quarter because we keep rates this high or we do have a surge in real unemployment, not, you know, including like if people see right through the government cannot keep hiring most most of the, uh, you know, of the of that those job increases. They can't be they can't be most of it. But at some point. Mike, if we if we do slip into into recession because we hold the rates hold rates too high for too long, we will see fifty basis point cuts, and that's and that will be 
there'll, there'll be a surge in cuts. And so when people say, oh, yeah, seven cuts, four cuts, three cuts, yeah, there might be two cuts, but they might come in, you know, in October and December and in and, and pretty ugly period. We, we just don't know yet. And what you're looking in the market, in my opinion, is the market's kind of you've got you've got two camps of, oh, the Fed's going to cut any day now. And then you've got the camp of, well, there's not going to be a landing. We just we just took right back off. You know, there's no it's no landing. Forget about soft landing. We're just let's just keep going. So and I don't buy into that personally, but. Dave. Well, I mean, the graph that James showed is is the single easiest way to explain the growth of wealth inequality. Uh, and I think that's really important to understand. And it's also really important to understand what the Fed is trying to re-engineer because they the pandemic response what was i mean it was completely fucked up on pretty much every level but one of the ways it was fucked up was they let the genie out of the bottle i, I went and got like my my favorite trick <laughs> from dubai it's like they let the inflation <laughs> genie out so you know the, the the fact is that we had decades Very decades of of inflation that all these idiot economists kept saying we didn't have inflation. Well, yes, we did. It was inflation in assets and it's what they wanted. So the rich got richer for three to four decades. And that did a few things. And there's been a bunch of articles about this recently. I've been talking about this since as long as you've known me, Scott, but yet, you know, now all of a sudden some mainstream economists are starting to agree with me. I mean, I, I kind of feel, you know, I, I feel kind of funny about that. The, the simple <laughs> fact is that when rates are, are negative, it allows malinvestment. Now, what is malinvestment? Well, malinvestment is, is just an economic term, meaning that under normal circumstances, the investment would not justify have a return, an ROI, return on investment that is positive. But when you make money cheaper, the amount that the investment has to be worth goes down to be there. So what's the two biggest pieces of malinvestment? Well, piece number one, unless you're in China, in which case it's building buildings that there's nobody to, to live in. But, you know, in, in America, it's to do excess automation, automate away jobs, and to fund the capital that it requires, the, the, the cost that it requires to outsource instead of insource. Insourcing is easy. You hire one or two people, you keep growing, whatever. Outsourcing, you fire everybody, you take a huge charge, you build a factory or a call center or whatever overseas, and you outsource the jobs. And that great sucking sound that we've had over those 40 years of below market interest rates, uh, otherwise known as financialization, is middle-class jobs being hollowed out, manufacturing jobs hollowed out going overseas. And that is, that is something that, believe it or not, it is exactly what the policymakers want, because what's Goldilocks to them? Goldilocks to them is low consumer inflation, the U.S. being the reserve currency, so people being able to buy shit and being happy with their iPhones and their flat screen TVs and, and you know, whatever, and, and the smaller bags, which we have to talk about, smaller bags of junk food. Uh, but the, the reality is, is inflation. They, yeah, they, what they want, what they want, the policymakers want to go back to is asset inflation and consumer disinflation, which is what we had for 40 years, relatively speaking. The reason that it ended was because of two things they did simultaneously, either one of which might have been enough to end it. One, uh, allow the supply chains to get absolutely destroyed and therefore cause, you know, a, a huge uh, problem in terms of being able to- Not, not allowed. They, they, they destroyed them. Yeah, no, they, they did it on purpose. They literally, they put a nuclear 
device on every supply chain. Yeah, they, the they 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 screwed it up badly. And and look, we could. I, you don't want to get me started on on the idiocy of the pandemic and and what does it mean and my conspiracy tin that tin hat theories thinking that global leaders want to see just how badly they could screw over their population without uh, you know in the name of safety. But let's not go there. Uh, what we can also say is at the same time they helicopter money. Right. You know, people, when Greenspan first talked about that in the early 2000s, I mean, Mike and James and I have been around long enough to remember it. It was in the context of, listen, you know, we won't allow a recession to happen. Now, it's funny. It was three, four years before the great financial crisis. So people kind of forgotten that. But basically what they were saying was we're outlawing recessions because we could drop money at people. The problem with dropping money at people, of course, is that it's people. It's not investment. So what does that mean? That means that too much money chasing too few goods. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so there, there you get to consumer inflation. So now what do they need? They need to put the genie back in the bottle. So what's the best way to do it? Goose financial assets. Right. You know, may, bring back malinvestment. But at the end of the day, Mike is right about many of the things that he's saying, because they really can't do that very easily because the consumer inflation is still raging. And so they're, they're doing what they can do up and down. The one place where I disagree with Mike and James and I both have been saying this for weeks is that they don't care about the stock market. Not caring about the stock market doesn't mean they're happy that it's high. It means they just don't care. What they're looking at is the banking system and liquidity in the, in the market. And at the end of the day, you have this rapacious beast that has to be fed liquidity called the federal government with budget deficits that are going nuts. And they have to feed that. And if, if, if anybody, you know, we haven't been on you to talk about it since then, Scott, anyone who thinks that Powell going on TV and effectively saying that the fiscal path is unsustainable doesn't mean anything. Nothing effective, no, nothing effective about it. He said the fiscal path is unsustainable to everybody. That, that is not irrelevant. So, so my yeah, so this is what that, has, that, that's why the Fed's doing what they're doing. Right. This is what has everybody so confused. And, you know, I, I listened to Lynn Alden talk about it. She, she outlined it so well with Mooch uh, on his show uh, uh, last week or week before. Is the, And this is what we've all been talking about here and thinking and, and trying to articulate. It's that we have pockets of recession in the economy. You could see it. You could see the layoffs Trucking. in certain areas. Yeah, tr exactly. You can see pockets of recession and they're occurring. I hear of people trying to get jobs. They can't get jobs in their in their areas. And it's it's geographical and and it's in sectors, right? It's sector specific. But you, at the same time that you have this very strong monetary uh, tightening, you've got a an extremely, extremely loose fiscal policy going on, which is what Dave is saying, which means that the government is spending in deficit in, in a time that we're not in recession. We're, we are at an absolute, we're, we're at historic levels of, uh, of our, the, just the size of the deficit at a time that we don't need it. It's, it's just maddening. So the, it's, they're kind of fighting each other. So as you've got this fiscal you know, stimulus going on. You've got the monetary system trying to tighten, and you heard on sixty minutes where you, you were saying, "Well, what are are you are you telling the treasury like you saw that this is that you admit that this is not sustainable? Are you saying anything in the treasury?" And Powell's answer is, "That's not my job. My job is to is to manage the monetary side. You know, jobs and, and inflation. Yeah, I will. I agree. It 
it's not on in the long term it's not sustainable but that's not my job i work for congress is basically what he said and so you think you got a call from yellen after that saying what the hell jerome you just threw me <laughs> under the bus <laughs> no because they i, I, I honestly that because if you look at what he's actually doing I mean, he has kept a lid on the long rate. Imagine where it could have been if we didn't have an inverted yield curve for the last two years, how much bad, worse the deficit would have been. I mean, yeah, it, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, he's going to go down in, in history uh, based upon the fact that he kept rates too low for too long. Uh, but and and I don't think there's any really real justification for you know how they did it. I mean, you know, Mike was and and, and Anna Wong were hardly the only people basically doing everything but yelling that they're doing it wrong, and then doing it wrong on the other side now is probably going to happen. But the simple fact is, is if you think about his most important thing to do, which is facilitate the U.S. government borrowing without causing as as much disruption as it could, he's actually done that extremely well. I mean, it's an, I mean, it's a no, it's, it's a Kobayashi Maru, Scott, right? You know, it's a no-win situation, but the truth of the matter is he's actually done it really well. Mike, you agree? Yeah. Well, I want to tilt over a little bit to um, a lesson I learned when I first came to Wall Street in 1993. I remember one of my colleagues explaining to me, Mike, now it's from the trading pits of Chicago. We didn't care about direction so much. We just want to get the trade right. And Mike, you know, in this country, the stock market is designed to go up. And I never forgot that. And I realized that. And to me, just to point out a little thing, and lessons of the book, um, Curse Act from Ben Bernanke, the Fed will always care about stock market when it goes down a decent amount, always. And that's the only time, I mean, the day of the Fed, the uh, 1987 crash, they cut 50 basis points. That's just the way it works. That's why I don't think we're going to see any type of race, you know, we're going to delay those rate cuts until the stock market tells them to, which is part of the negative thing I'm seeing. It's, it's a nice thing. I think it's good to see Bitcoin, the gold breakout, that ratio, breaking out higher above that. It's been stuck at that 20 level forever. The problem is what I've seen in the past compared to watching Bitcoin versus gold, this ratio for least least until it really mattered, 2016, 17, is it's lagging the beta. So I look at it as completely juxtaposed compared to last year, and it's still early in the year. I think what the prudent, rational money managers in the planet are doing, they're not overweighting risk assets. They might be using a little Bitcoin in place of, of some market caps, but they see how expensive it's getting. They know, everybody knows that there's going to be a correction, and it's questions, how do you handle it? How high does it get before we have that correction? And then how does Bitcoin respond? So I see it right now as... My standpoint, a commodity guy, this is a severe global deflationary reset at the moment. And the only standout is the U.S. stock market. It's the main thing that's holding everything up. Can it lift all boats? And it's not. I mean, so, it's, and it's, it, yeah. And, and <clears throat> so the question is, is that the way they're seeing it? Or in and this is my opinion, is that with these new ETFs, it has become exceedingly simple, very, very simple for uh, registered investment advisors, money managers uh, to recommend that their clients go into Bitcoin. And what are they saying about it? What is the so, e absolute easiest so, thing to say what Bitcoin is? It is digital gold, period. That's the so what way. are they selling to buy? Large caps? No, I think that they're they're selling. Uh, they're probably selling long bonds or or treasuries or or it, some it just out of money market. Think about matter. how much how much money is sitting in money markets right now, just because it can just sit there and get four or five percent, <clears> right? So, so you can you can start dipping into the digital gold 
and saying, okay, like this is, this may be a way for you to get into Bitcoin early, like get in, it's early, it's new. It, you have the benefit of not just the fact that it's new technology, a lot of money is going to come into, but that it's also digital gold. And so if the economy does turn over and we do start having that money printer, you know, phenomenon again, then you have the the single asset that will that will outperform uh, every other asset in in that class, and that so that's the that that could be why we're seeing it react this way. That now you've got the GBTC pressure coming down. You still have massive amount of money coming into this these ETFs, and and it's just starting, in my opinion. What I, Scott, I didn't see that uh, quote by. by Mark. It was just go. He was just basically agreeing that the debt problem obviously is unsustainable, keeps yeah. rising, and I mean, it, 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 the answer is never. never. Well, uh, to answer Mark, I think is really important because you know Mike keeps talking about about deflation. I mean, you know, I think those of us who go to the grocery store or pay a workman to come to the house to do anything, I mean, look. It, all I'll say is, is there's a game we just like to play. It's called bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. There is no effing way that we are going to see deflation in the United States uh, where when we have budget deficits running where we are and we're printing as much money as we are to monetize that debt. Now, deflation in can, what? Uh, Mike's that, correct that, that, that there's deflation it, in commodities. That can the price of sense. computers come down? Sure. Can the price of oil and natural gas stabilize and be and, and be? Uh, a non-event from an inflation point of view? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, it is it, it, that is true because those are places where technology has allowed us to get more efficient in, in in getting getting stuff out of the ground, recycling stuff, using stuff. That's all true. But at the end of the day, don't forget, since Mark is watching for Mark, the fact of the matter is, Bitcoin is a vote against. The, a system that looks unsustainable. Words like unsustainable are catnip to you know to the the Bitcoin investor. And the truth of the matter is, every single time we talk about Mike talks about beta, my my head my head hurts. I mean, Bitcoin. <laughs> you have to really really figure out a point in time where Bitcoin hasn't outperformed, and you know it, it, it's it's hard to do. I mean, yeah, you can pick it. I mean, you know, there was a quote over the weekend, a tweet over the weekend that just. I, I had to embarrass the guy because it was completely insane. And he was talking about, you know, how Bitcoin lost its correlation. And he, and he basically took from 21's highs till now, except ignoring the fact that the entire industry was put in a, a, level, a almost extinction level set of events from the biggest financial frauds in, in U.S. history and some of the others that were just like it to almost knock it to, to kill it. And it caused an enormous amount of forced selling. You can't ignore those liquidity flows. When you zoom out 10 years from now, it will be a blip on the chart. But right now, it, it's important. But anyway, the, the, po the point that I just want to make, just to sum up, is Bitcoin trades like a freaking option. And the reason it is the way it is, is because there are now more people who see it. Digital gold means Bitcoin is 15x this price. One five, not 5%, not 500%, but 1,500%. That is what it means. And there are a lot of people who are willing to say, you know, this makes sense to put a small allocation in. And the market is tiny relative to it. So when Mike says, what are they going to sell? It doesn't matter. Bitcoin what? is smaller than, than some of the biggest stocks. Forget so, the market. I, I got to follow up on that a little bit because yeah. they are selling uh, gold. <laughs> gold ETFs um, 
outflows have been the most extreme ever for this uptick. I know people are buying physical. I know some of them, and certainly Chinese are, and Chinese um, central banks are. So they are selling some of that. But I just want to point out little things of the facts of inflation versus deflation. Now, yes, we all get it when we go to the grocery store and all that. Anything you had to pay money for, except so I saw you driving this morning. Is that an electric car? Um, yes. Okay, so let's start with the unleaded price price of unleaded gas right now. It's the same as 2007, exact same. Over that time, CPI is up about 50%. U.S. money supply is up about 90%. That's a severe deflationary force in a tangible commodity, unleaded gas. It's the number one, that in, in the U.S. stock market, the number one in two measures of consumer sentiment in this country. And Biden got that. Actually, it was the best sale ever of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I can get into that. But that is just from my standpoint. So I'll point out two books. Um, we all know Jeff Booth, The Price of Tomorrow, point out the severe competitive deflationary forces of human genuity and the price of time um, by Chancellor, pointing out just what you pointed out. When you have a severe, a long period when people can have zero interest rates, they do stupid things or do things. We're just in the early days. Now, that's clearly happening in China. It's a depression in China. And I don't see, it's silly when I think people think it's going to get better. I'm like, okay, they're going to stimulate something, but who do they export to? They just pissed off the two best customers with this war, the US and Europe, and they have this internal crisis. So there's the second largest country in the world. We have Europe basically in a recession. The US is a shiny star. So that to me is where deflation is still starting to kick in. And here's the definition of deflation. is when you go up too high in assets and then you just go down from that peak. And that to me is a risk. The only thing that's holding up severe deflationary forces on a global scale right now, the number one thing is the S&P 500. The number one thing that's holding it up is rampant money printing. I'm gonna quote the ghost oh, of that's, Milton that's, Friedman. That's true, that's true. That's part well, of it. <laughs> inflation is a monetary phenomenon. The only question is, is what inflates? Yeah. Right now, assets are actually inflating, which is doing what they're doing. Yeah. Two things to say. In debate, we would call this a turnaround. When you talk about gas, the fact that, that gas and natural gas are so, have, gone, have, have gotten to the point where they have, as you're right, I mean, to the point where the Republicans are no longer chirping about it, <laughs> and the fact that, that services inflation and year-on-year -year consumer inflation and everything that insurance inflation, everything that matters to the people in, in, in America is not coming down with energy prices actually low is scary as shit because it means that what happens if there is, if the Houthis manage to, to close the Red Sea or the Straits of Hormuz get clo closed. I mean, it literally means an oil shock would be would be disastrous right now. But the good news is it's not happening. So that's great. So, so the thing to note, there's, there's, there's a $20 more, premium more, price of crude. What happens to U.S. government revenues if the U.S. stops being the, the shining star? And what happens to our deficit if, if there is a break in the system and we and China and everything else causes an actual recession where government revenues drop? What happens? Just ask yourself that question. Because at the end of the day, we, we have no fiscal, I mean, we, we literally are, are at, at an enormous deficit in a period of time when the economy is booming. Imagine where we go. Yeah, there's only one answer. And that's why everybody gets first. more money. <laughs> and so and then, then the question will be, what will we get? Will we get asset inflation and consumer disinflation because of the way that they're trying to do? Well, maybe. But what are the assets? The assets are going to be the ones that can either maintain growth or have the fiction of growth. So it'll be the same tech companies. Guess what? This is what the market's actually doing. I'm sorry. Or, or assets that people believe have some, you know, some benefit to it. Like, you know, like Bitcoin. 
you know, at the end of the day, we, we are seeing speculative excesses. You're right about China. I mean, you, there's only so many more apartment buildings you can build to give people jobs when when there, there are entire cities that are sitting empty, right? And so they need to buy, build something. And, and we don't know what the hell that's going to be. Yes, they're going to have to print money, but what the hell are they going to do? And, and we don't know. And you're right. There, that is a huge risk to the real economy. But a risk to the real economy in a time when the government is printing deficits the way it is, is crazy. I mean, it, 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 it's completely insane. I mean, if you showed anybody and you start looking at the government budget and you start realizing that how spending is and what we're spending on as a percentage of GDP, you'd say this is insane. Now, imagine if GDP drops. Well, that percentage goes way the hell up. And that's the case for Bitcoin, by the way, because regardless of, of what you're saying, I'm going to going to maintain that. And, and you never see it when it happens, Mike. You never see a narrative shift when you're in the middle of the narrative shift. Or it's very, very rare. Generally, you have to look back and say, oh, wait a minute. What the hell was I thinking? I wish I wish to God I, I had the ability to have one of those time reset buttons because I've made so many mistakes in my life for not seeing it. This time, there's a narrative shift. The narrative shift is we now have an asset. We had Hillary freaking Clinton making the investment case for Bitcoin. She didn't want to, but then again, you know, she's getting old too and didn't realize what she was saying. But when she was saying Bitcoin is the risk of undermining the dollar, what she meant was, oh my God, we can't allow a competitor, something that the people can measure the dollar against to thrive because, uh-oh, what will that mean? Well, guess what? <clears throat> they tried two and a half years ago and you know, you know, Caitlin Long, who you have on your show a lot and, and is awesome. I mean, she can chronicle Operation Choke Point, but that is the fear. You want to know why Elizabeth Warren has directed the Biden administration to go after Bitcoin for two and a half years? It's because of what Hillary was talking about. That is a major narrative shift. When you have the people who basically are running the country behind closed doors now expressing fear that a competitor the U.S. dollar that is worth nothing. It is so small. I mean, what's the ratio of Bitcoin to the U.S. dollar right now? <laughs> That's, uh, and they're talking about it. That matters. That well, narrative shift quickly, matters. Dave. Dave. So, so to that end, aren't we doing Bitcoin at this point a disservice by saying both that it's digital gold and arguing that it's just a risk asset, but we know that it's largely behaved completely uncorrelated? It's a good I think point. we need a new narrative, man. Bitcoin is Bitcoin. That's the but new that's, narrative. Yeah, but that's the point. That That's the whole point of all of this is that we live in a bubble. We understand the difference. I read an article on Bloomberg this morning from a, from a, you know, one of the Bloomberg writers and, uh, and the uh, and Bloomberg journalists, and she doesn't understand the difference. It's just lumped in with crypto. It is. There's so, and, and I, and I have a lot of respect for Bloomberg because I've, I've, you know, work with them for many years on Wall Street. They're, they have like really smart people like Mike. But this is the point is that there's so much confusion, so much disinformation. And really what it is, we are at the we're at the just at the beginning of this learning curve that everybody has to that has to get on this train to understand all the differences of all these things, because all they hear is, oh, I own some Bitcoin. I heard, literally heard this the other day at, at I was at a, uh, a party that had a lot of policemen and, you know, just regular people. And they weren't academics. They weren't investors. They're were just normal people. And somebody said, oh, I own some Bitcoin. It's the Ethereum one. You know, it's like, and people, <laughs> like, I mean, and th th this is not a dumb person, you know? And so the, the point is that we, we, 
the and Michael Saylor makes this point so well. He's like, people do not understand it when they do understand it. And that's what he always says. When you understand it, you can own some of it. That shining, you know, city on the hill. When you understand it, you can own some of it. But you have to understand it. And that's the point. We are at the beginning of this where there's broad misunderstanding and misinformation everywhere. And people like Hillary Clinton and Elizabeth Warren and Jamie Dimon, you know, and and Charlie Munger before he died and Warren Buffett now are just they're just spreading this this disinformation, whether or not they're trying to be disinformative, they're doing it and it's confusing people. And so all they hear out of out of the major talking heads and, and these politicians, most of them is it's it, it's dangerous. It's used by criminals. If you use it, we're going to assume you're a criminal. That's what they hear in their subconscious. So it 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 it, it really deters intelligent people from digging in and understanding it. And that's where we are at this point. We live in a bubble, but believe me, out there, it's not like this. Well, I can tell you that there's a guy named Donish who Mark Yusko actually had a huge argument with on Spaces recently, who hosts Mario Knopfel's Finance Spaces. Huge crypto skeptic, hates NFTs, thinks Bitcoin's stupid. Over a six-month period, I effectively convinced him to buy Bitcoin, and now he's up to a couple percent of his portfolio, and he still doesn't like Bitcoin. And the reason was because I showed him basically this, which is Brian Estes actually sent me this after our uh, podcast conversation. This is what uh, Bitcoin does to your Sharpe ratio. Very simply, right? It, it incre- it, it, the way that it benefits your portfolio because it's uncorrelated to everything else, this is provably from 2013 to 2023, right? We can dig into that another time. But why are then we talking about Bitcoin again as digital gold or as just a tech stock? When in and of itself, it has this powerful ability to diversify your portfolio and improve your sharp right. ratio. Why? And, and, because, and then we'll go out on a limb and we'll talk about it as money or we'll talk about yeah, it as but, but Bitcoin. Stop, just Bitcoin. Go, go back to the beginning of you learning about it and just how mind blowing it was. I, for me, it was it was it was transformative. And so and especially coming from this world of investing and fiat investing, it was absolutely mind blowing. So there's a lot to grab onto here. <laughs> hey, Mark, <laughs> I love I love Mark. Math. So and it's true, it's just math. However, it is very difficult to get your head around all of that because it's a concept that you know. Again, that same party, you know, the same questions come up over and over. Well, why wouldn't somebody just do another Bitcoin? You know what? What saves them? And you have to explain the 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 true you know decentralization of it. It's it's very difficult to get your head around. So it makes it simple as a narrative. If you are a a money manager, if you're an, an investment advisor, to say, okay, look, it's just digital gold. Get some, and then we'll dig in deeper. You know, leg into the trade, and then we'll dig in deeper. But that's that's kind of where we're at. In my opinion, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, look, it's not I really want to hear Mike's uh, take because I basically ranted for a while, but it is worth pointing out that we are within a very short uh, distance where Ibit and the others uh, are back to where they opened back, you know, back in the middle of all the hype when Bitcoin was price wise, as far as price. Yeah, as far as price wise. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not an, an uncommon. How many IPOs have we all seen where there was a big hyped IPO? There was a pop on the open. The, all the professionals sold it to the people who bought it on the open. 
the next two, three weeks, months, whatever, it goes down. And then, you know, years later, it's it's a rip roaring success. And I mean, you that, know, you know, it, it hit forty nine thousand one hundred two. We're at forty eight thousand five thirty seven. Right. It's, it's, it's within negligible difference. We've filled it completely. If you're looking at the price of Bitcoin there. Right. So okay. it, the, the point is that, you know, it's like people. It, there's no doubt that this has been an amazing success. I mean, by every single metric and Eric and James who are at the ETF conference here in Miami, you know, are, you know, have been, been pointing this out, but the reason it's a success is because of the, the steady, slow inflow of money into the process and slowed by Bitcoin standards, right? Because everyone here wants to see God candles and when moon and Lambo pictures, it's like, screw that shit. What, what we care about, is is the most constructive thing is a slow, steady decoupling. The only reason it hasn't decoupled is because this is in a period of time where the market uh, has been performing really well. Just to tee Mike up, when you talk about that crypto quant article, that that actually makes me weary and wary that that we're going to see a major correction when people are saying things that are that dumb. But if you control for a variable and you said, okay, if the S&P is going to be 10 to 15% or more higher than it is today uh, over the period of time they're talking about. Yeah, then I do think they're probably right. I think Bitcoin will outperform. But there is a very severe risk of, of recessionary forces in the rest of the world coming home to roost in our market. It just hasn't happened yet. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. But you know, when people ask me, what do I think? I, I always couch it in the terms of, well, in a, in a, in a severe, you know, asset sell-off correlation goes to one. And so could Bitcoin, you know, if the S&P corrects 25%, could Bitcoin correct 50%? Yeah, it could. Uh, do I, do I see something last? terrifying? Do I see something terrifying? Uh, Grayscale, this is their post-having uh, <laughs> analysis. 2024 having, this time it's actually different. Have oh, you ever heard, heard a scarier five words than this time it's actually different? Listen, everything is lining up. There's nothing but tailwinds, right? We saw this. We've got Bitcoin Eyes' longest winning run in a year. Nine days in a row green here would, would match January 23. Bitcoin stronger ahead of having. That's that same report. New spot Bitcoin ETFs amassed 200,000 Bitcoin in less than one month of trading. I mean, pretty astounding numbers when you look at it. But there's nothing I want to see less than this time. It's different. So, so let's put out a simple um, lick your finger and put it up. Is let's <laughs> let's compare this to a year ago. There was no ETFs. Bitcoin wasn't in mainstream. It was low. There was a lot of hate. And now I, I, it's on my DI list. Deliberately ignore because it's so in my face how bullish it is. Just by the conversation we had, the stuff that a lot of us discussed five years ago. Now it's completely in the mainstream. And we have to have people who want to go down in history like um, Aaron Burr. It's wonderful. I love that part of our country because it's free markets and free speech. But I just look at it from a simple trading standpoint. Um, if we do get at some point that recession that's already priced out of the market and we do get a normal correction of risk assets, as Dave said, you have to expect the highest volatility, highest beta risk asset to go down the most. Now, maybe it won't. That's my point. It's the rational thing for most investors now who made good money in Bitcoin is you don't overweight here. You overweighted a year ago and you did very well. Now you have to say, okay, now that the whole world's priced for this, maybe I'll tilt the other way. How do you think hedge funds make their money? Now, if we got to keep with the beta, you just keep your stops. And that's why I think I come in 
um, sometimes have that early view by watching ticks. I mean, I just watch all these little things tick. You want to see that intraday move. You want to see that move. And I still have that same problem that this high beta risk acid is underperforming in some ways, this the beta. And now it's catching up. That's great. But now everything I hear, every place I say in, 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 in cryptos, just what you said, is so bullish. We have to admit ourselves, if you're running positions, it feels great, but you know you shouldn't be overweight in that environment. You're supposed to be overweight. We had the exact opposite narrative 12 months ago. And, and all I will say to that is a very simple point which is climbing a wall of worry. I agree with you on the narrative inside crypto Twitter, but that's not the, but we are a insulated, very, you know, insulated bubble, that's what to use, to, to use James's word. But even inside crypto, if you look at the inverse perpetual swaps, that's the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. And the reverse perpetual swaps are trading flat to, to, you know, either slightly above or slightly below spot with very low funding rates. When you look at coin glass, we had a nice little move in Bitcoin over the weekend. Virtually, the, the liquidations are tiny, right? And and fairly evenly balanced. This is spot yeah. buying. It's a hundred percent. It's spot buying for the ETF. It right. Is. So, but so which is very different. When we were hitting the all time highs in both both of the double top, in both cases, we had three weeks. One was three, and one was was 10, 15 days, something like that. But. What was a little bit less, but there, there was like a month of period of time during 2021 where the average funding rate on the perpetual swaps was above normal. And, and it was trading at a premium because people were piling in, piling in, levering up, levering up, and it became self-sustaining until, of course, that stopped. And then it was, you know, as they say, look out below, you know, oof. there's none of that going on. There just isn't any. And so it, and, and I watch it like a hawk. I mean, you look at, if you look at coin here, this is this is the easy one. This is coin glass. And it's just just look at the at or share screen. I, I can bring it up as well. If, yeah, go ahead. I'm just always looking at coin glass. Let me, just, let me yeah. help you, I mean, you, know, me help you like, out here. <laughs> if you look, if you look at is this one that works? Yeah. If you look, you know, yeah, there was some stuff around the ETF things. Oh, sorry. There was some stuff around the the you know what the earlier in the year, but look at how low these liquidation numbers are mm -hmm. for this entire rally. I mean, it, it's tiny, and and that that matters. That really does matter because it's a different kind of rally. And so yeah, there are a lot of people who go, oh, it's late. I'll wait for the pullback. And that's actually you know people keep talking, oh, I'm bullish, but then they're not putting their money in. And so this is coming from new buyers. Yeah, the same one, same one on my screen. Yeah, I mean, this is maybe this is a temporary thing, but I mean, we're looking at what seven point seven billion dollars now uh, between just Fidelity and Ibit. I mean, take a look at this if you want to look at the daily volumes. The argument was that this was all inflows because Grayscale was outflowing and people were switching over. This is now Grayscale volume on a daily basis. This is Fidelity and this is Ibit. So this is no longer the money coming out of Grayscale and going into these. This is new money, presumably retail, which, which presumably makes sense retail because RIAs don't have access. Yeah, uh, some of them do. You're, uh, so, very, very low. So, percent. Yeah, and, but no, the point is that that the they're getting more and more access, and I think that's what's happening, Scott. You got more and more onboarding. So you've got the super highways, you've got the iBits and the great uh, the the, uh, the fidelity built. And now you're getting the on-ramps. And so those on-ramps are coming and people are, and they're, they're sticking their toe in the water. Like, okay, calm down. 
You know, it's no longer that hot IPO that was up you know, 200% and then down 40% and everybody is just, you know, dumping because it, it was just a, it was just a, a, a one day, one day wonder, you know, kind of like the one hit wonders. We, we, we live through those. Mike and Dave and I lived through those where you you prayed to get a thousand shares of this hot IPO and then you dumped it that day because there's no way that you believed in the underlying company. Well, this kind of felt like that, right? It felt like that. People going, what do I own here? What is this thing? This Facebook, I don't even know how they make money. How do they make money? Advertising. But you know, they, they so what happened? They dumped it. Right. And then as you move forward, you look at now look at Facebook where it was from the from that IPO. Right. So it's like it's that hangover. Now you're kind of through that. And RAAs are and and investment advisors, money managers are a little bit they're let they're less uh they're less shy. They're a little bit more emboldened to say, okay, let's stick our toe in now. It's calmed down. So yeah, I mean, but but the but the wall of worry comment is is what matters to me. Yeah, because I mean, look, objectively speaking, if it wasn't for the narrative that I that I believe what Bitcoin represents, uh, I, my spidey senses would be saying Mike is right, and and certainly when I look at the S and P, I feel very similar, right? You know, it, it's like what what are people buying? What's the price to sales ratio? What is this? You know, can this live in a world where the U.S. is the only one? The, the issue is the fundamental difference, and we say this all the time, when I talk about delinking, I, I actually, it's stronger than that. You know, I think that, that there, are, there are people out there who are getting more and more, you know, our level of skepticism in the government, our level of skepticism in institutions is reaching an all-time high. And while, no, I don't believe Bitcoin fixes this, as, you know, as they say on crypto Twitter, uh, it certainly is somewhat of an opt-out. And it is somewhat of a of a hedge and people will start seeing that narrative happen. You know, we're you know, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is just it's enough to make anybody in American politics, you know, look at this and just just shake your head in disbelief. And there's so many different aspects to that. So what's wrong with one point six trillion dollars GDP gross growth that costs two point five trillion trillion dollars? of deficit spending. What's wrong with that? Come on. I mean, it's the most ever <laughs> out there than that. So I see the case, bullish Bitcoin, bullish that case, declining um, demand, increasing supply, big picture. And then I just look at it. There's times overweight and times late. Be careful and not overweight. And that's a year ago was overweight. Now I'm just, that's all. It's not that complicated. I just want to see that divergence where it just doesn't go up um, as a fastest horse in the race when, when the fastest horse, when, when bait is going up. I know you don't like that term. Okay, let's use NASDAQ. And that's what it is. It's a feeding frenzy right now. So I just remember as, a, as I was running money and I was doing for clients, we'd be more likely to be structuring call positions that maybe had a little gamma than being in the underlying. And then, you know, so you at least have exposure to the upside, the rally, but you, you, you know, last year was just want to be overweight gamma and bay, and you want to be overweight delta. This is where you have to be careful. You want that gamma in your favor. So I just, you know, it's just that extreme. So I think it's it was Gary, Gary just made a point that I've made a couple of weeks ago, which is I really think that there's kind of the interesting trade will be, I would not be surprised to see the, the leaders of the stock market uh, all uh, have a bit of a problem uh, in March, April, it feels a lot like to early 2000 to me when the tax bills for capital gains uh, come due and people start paying them in March. You know, there was some it was an interesting year. People don't remember this, 
but before the disaster of the internet bubble really popping and everything getting accelerating, what you saw was a massive March sell-off on the NASDAQ one day down 15%, which is insane in, in stock market terms. I mean, in Bitcoin, we like, okay, that's a Tuesday, but you know, in, 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 in NASDAQ, it's, it's a big deal. Cisco's chart, it got got crushed, absolutely crushed. And then it rallied again into the summer before a more orderly but far worse deep sell-off happened uh, going into the fall. Uh, and it, once again, it's an election year, all that all that stuff. So, you know, will markets repeat? I, I don't know. But, you know, in that scenario, what actually will, will be the result? I mean, sure, if there's a 15% sell-off in all risk stocks, yes, you can bet that crypto and Bitcoin in particular will sell off with it. That is true. But if it's different this time, if it's, let's say, 3 or 4% a day for a week and find yourself down there, will that be the same thing? I don't know. And it'll be really interesting to find out. But I, I do think that a lot of the forces that Mike talks about, people should go back and listen to that monologue again because it is it bodes really, really badly for traditional risk assets. I mean, I, I just said this time it's actually different to like the most terrifying words, but now I'm going to say, what if this time it's different, Dave? What if that doesn't happen? I, I'm, I'm really like, listen, I'm not trying to be a Bitcoin maxi or be crazy about it, but I don't think we have enough evidence, statistical modeling to believe that Bitcoin is either going to trade like gold or that it's going to trade like a high beta tech stock. I think well, I Bitcoin is just Bitcoin now, I, I, well, and, and it has the ETF the now as well. I agree, I, but but if you have, you have to get into you have to get in the minds of asset asset allocators because they need to put it in a bucket. They have to like that's just that's just reality. And what bucket yeah, are they going to put true. it in? And yeah. so it, it's just it's own stocks, bonds, <laughs> Bitcoin, crypto tech. No, I, right? I, I, well, I think we eventually <laughs> get there, Scott, but not yet. We're not there well, yet. The is, but the thing is, that's interesting. Mike, I'll go to you one second. The thing that's interesting is that those same advisors also don't allocate to gold. They just allocate to stocks and bonds anyways. Yeah. So it's a, like, no, people don't have gold in their portfolios. Like they just, very few people, right? You have to be very, a gold bug to, to even look for that sort of exposure. Nobody recommends to own hard assets in your portfolio, no. at least not this portfolio. Well, the, the, the book I've been reading is Capitalism Without Capital and points out the absolute value in tangible assets versus tangible assets. And that's why I pointed out the um, price of um, of tomorrow by Jeff Booth points it out clearly. I mean, this is an environment where we're humans, we're improving every day and we make things better. And Bitcoin's the ultimate intangible asset. Um, I don't disagree with that. And I see it's really fitting in portfolios, but I just want to see it pass that test. And right now it's it's just, everything's what going would, up, So right? let, me, let me just ask you, what would be the criteria where it passes that test? Because okay. for then to be tested, we would have to see effectively a major stock market crash, correct? Well, not really. It doesn't have to be a crash. So we can you can have time corrections. It could just be underperforming for 10 years after it's been outperforming for 20. I mean, it can do that. I mean, it, it's just not, though. It's all-time high versus MSCIXUS. It's like, oh boy, okay, we're going. It's great. I love the US exceptionalism, but um, that's wonderful. At some point, you always get reversions in these things. And um, the the ultimate test is it depends on time frame. We need to see it um, go, not go down as much as 
I hate to say the word, the stock market on a risk-adjusted basis. And right now it's great. It's doing the fastest horse in the race. Everybody gets it, we all know, but we're not at a 20% discount from all-time highs like we were a year ago. That was wonderful. Everything was, we all knew it was the time to buy. Some of us were not as bullish in equity markets. We found something that was better and it did perform better. But now, you know, show me the show me the, the beef. And I, I know I've been saying it's nice it's breaking out against uh, with gold, it's nice it's catching up, but it, right now it's just catching up. And I just see that lagging performance that every single day that goes by. Okay, we're above five thousand. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I don't disagree. Really quick, Dave. I don't disagree. I think that but to some degree that's cherry picking data because it's based on when the all time high of Bitcoin was and not necessarily it's, apples it's, to apples. But it also yeah. makes the argument to me that still Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. Because uh, there's certain times when that wasn't the case. And there's certain times when that was the case. Go ahead, Dave. I'll, I'll let you jump in. Sorry, because we got to finish up in a minute. On In November of 21, when Bitcoin was at 63,000, the hash rate of the Bitcoin network was 160 whatever trillion terahashes. It's now 4x that. There's your beef. Uh, the Bitcoin network itself, the insiders, I, I, I always want to phrase it this way. Insider buying has been one of the strongest signals in the stock market for our entire lifetime. And the insiders in Bitcoin are buying. Now they're buying by cap, by CapEx, et cetera. But the network itself is four times where it was when last we hit the, the all-time high. Does that mean I expect 240,000, which would be four times the all-time high price? Actually, yes. no. I expect half that in this cycle. And maybe it'll it'll keep going. But the fact is, is this is where the beef is. The beef is is in the actual insiders. And that chart, if you look at that, you just look at the chart of the hash rate, it is one of the, the strongest up and to the right. It actually looks like it's going into a blow off top right now, yeah. which is kind of strange, but the price hasn't done anything, relatively yeah. speaking. We are, we are way, way, way early because the people who are actually have to spend the money are basically saying, listen, we are going all time highs and we're going well past it. That's what they're saying. So whether they're right or wrong or not, we'll see. But it's impossible to dismiss that, in my opinion. Yeah. So just what, just, go ahead, Mike, please. Just one note. When you have people with a vested interest writing things like it's different this time for having, that's when you have to put up your radar and be careful. Oh, I, I, I agree. That's, that's a huge tough. warning, huge warning sign. But I, <laughs> I just just to finish my thought. If you look at the Bitcoin four-year cycle, which we all know is statistically irrelevant, Dave has pointed out many times, we've only got three, Bitcoin was different each time. But if you do have this similar cycle and it does play out once again, we'll all just look back and go, why did we talk about stocks? And why did we talk about gold? It's just this cycle that Bitcoin travels in that's you know a random walk in the park compared to everything else. I really am starting to believe that Bitcoin is just Bitcoin. If you look from the bottom to where we are now, then Bitcoin has wildly outperformed the stock market. But if you correctly look at the all-time high of Bitcoin versus the current price, you say, well, SPX is over 5,000, is now making new all-time highs. Bitcoin's still well down from all-time high. It's obviously underperforming. So I think it's just very hard because it's so date dependent. And when you zoom all the way out, we just have an exceptional low correlation to everything else, including gold. So maybe the digital gold narrative needs to die as well. I'm not really sure. And I just realized it's 10.02. So, so I didn't mean to uh, rant there at the end. I'm just starting to, you know, we have these arguments over and over, not us, us with the rest of the world. And you try to convince them it's digital gold. They don't get it. You try to convince them that it's just like a Tesla stock and they don't get it. So maybe it's time for us to just show them what it does to your sharp ratio and not compare it to anything else. That's what I'm starting to believe. 
Guys, that's it. Uh, great to be back. You can tell that I missed it last week because I was much more animated this week. Uh, we've got, uh, of course, we'll be back next Monday, 9 a.m. And I will be back tomorrow at 9. Mike, Dave, James. This show is just amazing. Thank Testament you. to how good it is that we've got guys like uh, Mark Yusko and Gary Cardone following along on Twitter because anyone who watches a show on Twitter knows how difficult it is to watch a show on Twitter. If you scroll <laughs> once, you lose the entire thing. Right. So, so, so the, the really dialed in. Uh, just an amazing show here, guys. I uh, loved it today. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. That's dope.